0: I can't see anything. I could just feel and see everything. And I know what just happened. I know I just got shot. I don't know where. I know in the leg, but I don't know what else at the time. So I'm just, I can feel my face. It's it's very wet and, and warm. But other than that, I can't see anything. And I just feel all the glass and hear all the glass breaking. And next thing I know, my door's being pulled open. And I hear police. They're saying, hey, police, freeze, police. And I don't know who just shot me. All I know is somebody just shot me, and the police are here right now. So I just started saying, please, somebody just shot me. Help me, please, somebody, somebody. I just kept saying that. And the guy that pulls me out the car, he says, no shit, Sherlock, to me. Because he had just shot me, but I didn't know that. I didn't have time to think about why this cop would say that to me. I didn't do anything, but I just kept saying, please, just help me, somebody just shot me. Like, I can't believe I just got shot. Like, this is crazy.
1: Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. A note that this episode has descriptions of gun violence and occasional technical issues. Today, my guest is Philippe Holland. Welcome, Philippe.
0: Hi, how's it going, Miss Plank?
1: I'm so glad that we connected. You have been through an experience that a lot of people hear about in the news, but may not have known someone directly or heard from someone directly that has experienced what you experienced. So can you give me the punchline of your story? And then we'll go back and talk about how this all happened.
0: Yeah, sure. So I guess the the attention grabber would be that... As a 20-year-old, I was delivering pizza, and I was shot by police uh, while delivering food. Uh, I hadn't done anything, and uh, I was actually shot in the face and leg and uh, managed to survive that. And uh, I guess I should stop there. I don't want to get too far into it. but
1: Can you talk a little bit about how long ago this was and how old you are now?
0: So, yeah. So this happened April 22nd, 2014. I was 20 at the time and I just turned 27 back in November 2nd of 2020. So,
1: so, you know, for a lot of people like me and I'm going to, I don't consider myself a quote Karen necessarily, (laughs) but I would imagine, that. (laughs) but I imagine that some people would, I don't know that any quote Karen thinks of themselves as a Karen, but I, I consider myself a pretty, I feel like I'm an open-minded person and I've done work on myself. And yet, I definitely didn't know about how much police violence was prevalent or how many people it affected up until recently. And so in your experience when you were growing up and stuff, was that something that you knew a lot about or was it something that was it really talked about.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, like, you're not the only one, because me included, it happened to me. And, you know, my skin color and gender and race and all that, mm-hmm. you would think I would have had some type of opinion about the police before that happened. But mm-hmm. uh, to answer your question, I grew up thinking about the police as just police. I didn't praise them or anything like that. They were just, you know, I had seen some stuff in the news. I watched TV. I saw that police, there were corrupt cops and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, kind of like everybody else, I didn't have, uh, I didn't know about the history because it obviously didn't just start recently. We're just become aware of it, but no, I was, unaware of it. Even when it happened, I wasn't really aware of what it was. It wasn't until I started seeing it in the news happened different ways Mm. that I look back at mine and saw for what it was and not just what seeing it also some things about my particular case
1: interesting so when when it when it happened to you and when you went through this and I know we're going to go back and talk about the yeah. exact incident mm-hmm. are you saying that you didn't think oh of course this is common, happened to me now it, it did yeah. it seem more unique to you
0: yeah it was it was it, that's exactly that like it wasn't like when my mom, uh, she she lived in Jersey at the time and she had to drive down to Philly to, to mm-hmm. see me. And when she got in the hospital, the media was there and she didn't want to talk to them because we didn't see it as a case of police brutality. We just saw it as mm-hmm. two cops just made a stupid mistake and almost killed me. And not that mm-hmm. I wasn't angry, but I didn't see it the way I do now. And that was mainly because mine happened before the string of, of recent killings happened. Because uh, mm-hmm. Eric Garner happened in July and mine was April. And that's kind of, that was kind of the first one in a long line of the past six years. So yes. if it had happened a year later or last year or two years ago, we would see it completely differently. But at the time, we didn't see it for what yeah. it was. I didn't know. So,
1: And do you think the media already had an idea or they were there because, um, because it was a violent crime? I mean, why do you think—were they there because it was a police crime, do you think?
0: Well, I mean, yeah, because it was— Because we're all aware of it now because it's happening a lot. Yeah. But there are some police-related shootings or killings that have happened. I could name like three right now. that happened way before me, Mm -hmm. like as early as 96 or 95. So, you know, I'm pretty sure they, you know, just heard some pizza delivery guy got shot by the police. Yeah. And, you know, wanted to see what had happened, whether I was a criminal, whether, uh, you know, did the cops make a mistake. So, you know.
1: Well, so can you— can you tell me, I know when we talked a, a while ago, when we first met each other, I learned where you were born and where you grew up. So can you just sort of set the scene here and talk a little bit about what your life was like up until that point?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, this was 2014. I graduated high school in 2011, in June.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and where were you born?
0: I, well, I was born in Ivory. Let me go back to that. I was born in Ivory Coast in Africa. And a lot of people can't mm-hmm. tell that until I tell them. Uh, yeah. But I came here to the United States when I was three. So that's why I kind of like got Americanized after a while. So I was in Philadelphia for 20 years, and uh, I was in Philly for 17 when this had happened, I was 20, Uh, but uh, Philadelphia, I grew up in Upper Darby, Philadelphia, around there. And uh, so when I, uh, around 2014, I graduated high school three years ago. Mm -hmm. I was in Delaware County community, taking about two classes at a time, kind of just slowly, uh, you know, working on transferring somewhere.
1: Did you have any idea at that time when you were that, I know that's so young, Did you have any interest in a particular career or were you just sort of trying to figure it out?
0: Man, I mean, I I could really take up your entire podcast with that subject by (laughs) itself because my whole thing was like in high school. My problem wasn't that I didn't know what I wanted to do. It was that so many things interested me Uh and I didn't narrow it down on one thing like so many people did.
1: Well, it's really hard at that age. I mean, I don't think at 20 years old to be able to figure out what you want to do is rare.
0: And I mean, a lot of my friends and people around me, classmates, you know, went to school for something specific. And I was just like, I want to do graphic design. You know, I want to I want to Mm -hmm. do like acting. You know, it was a bunch of stuff that I looked at. But what I decided on was being a sports journalist, Mm -hmm. Um, because I figured like if I could get paid to talk about sports and then travel, like that's just because I want to travel. I love sports. and obviously, I want to get paid. So if I can do all three at once in a career, like, you know, I, what, what could be better for me? Yeah. So that's what I decided on before the accident. And I was working two jobs. I worked at the airport at a bakery called L'Opun Pan. So I was working there. I, I was there for a while. Yeah. So I, I like that job. And I actually went back after the accident, too, for a little while. Uh, but I was working there uh, 5 to 12. I'd wake up at 4. That day, uh, I woke up at 4 a.m. I'd go uh, get there at 5, work 5 to 12. And then I would leave work. I'd have an hour to get to class. Class would be one to four. And then my second class, I didn't have that that day. Well, you know, some days I would have only one class, only one job. Maybe I'd have all of them at the same, you know, same day. That particular day was a really busy one. But other than that, it was a very normal day, which is why it's weird that it happened that way because the day was so normal. Went to class one to four, you know, and then left class, had an hour to get to work. And that was plenty of time. Like it was all very close. So I had a 45-minute break yeah. and started, you know, delivering uh, food. But um, so, yeah, that day was very normal. It was about 1030 that I, uh, that we got the last call of the, of the night. And the funny thing was it wasn't even mine. It was actually somebody else's because we would take turns, the drivers, and it was about three that day because it was a busy day. So the other driver whose turn it was, um, he asked me if I wanted to take it. And I said, cool, because he didn't really care to go. And I was like, sure, I'll take it, whatever. So I took it, you know, obviously not knowing mm-hmm. that I shouldn't have. Uh, Or should have, you know, everything happens Mm -hmm. for a reason. So who knows? But I took it, you know, and I drove down. I got there by 1045. I delivered the food to the, it was an older woman, you know, uh, gave her a cheeseburger. I, and she closed the door. It was very normal up until what I'm about to tell you now. So as I'm walking off her balcony or off her porch, uh, that's when I see, you know, uh, a a sedan like a car it wasn't a cop car because I could make out a cop car it, it was dark but it wasn't like too dark and they were on the street lights so I could see like a plane car and they were just kind of doing donuts or swerving at the top of the block like a lot of smoke coming up you know kind of like Fast and Furious kind of thing mm-hmm. so I saw that and you know uh, kind of alerted me but you know I, I was just like let me just get out of here because I'm a delivery driver I have about you know $400 on me I don't want to you know get robbed or whatever I didn't think it was going to happen but I didn't know yeah. But I, I had no idea of what was going to happen. So, but I'm just walking to my car um, and uh, I got in and the car stopped while I was crossing the street. So that's kind of, that kind of like made me nervous. Yes. But I was like, you know, let me just get out of here. Uh, so when I got in my car, I turned the light off pretty quickly because I didn't want to, because my car was parked normally for that exact reason. I don't like double parking yes. or being out in the open specifically because I'm in Philly. It's mm-hmm. nighttime. I have money on me and people have been killed for twenty dollars, much less three, four hundred dollars. So
1: it's not completely out of out of um the ordinary to be a little bit like nervous or concerned about the environment at that time in that place.
0: No, I mean, I, I would say anywhere. If I was at night anywhere, I me mean, the way I am, the way I was before that happened, I would have been careful.
1: Well, that's interesting because you're a guy, and I mean, I felt that way my whole life as a woman, my whole life as a girl. But yeah, as a
0: woman, you guys have that fear from men in a different way. Like, yeah. you guys have to. We go into that, but um, for me, it was just like a safety thing. Like, you can get robbed. Just anybody can get robbed, not just yeah. as a as a guy. So, but as a delivery driver, you know, you you never you never know. Like, somebody might see you with your pizza bag, and then target you. Like, I, I'd seen that in the news a lot. Mm. So it was just seeing the news and just knowing that it can happen to anyone just had me on guard at all times. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I got in the car, turned the lights off, and this is when it started. You know, I turned the lights off, and then I could see one person in the sidewalk kind of approaching me, and he had a flashlight. Well, he shown his flashlight in my face, and it was very bright. Mm. So I, you know, kind of blocked the flashlight. I blocked the light with my hand, with my right hand. Yeah. And this is me in my driver's seat. Park normally, car's not on yet. And so I see the guy, I blocked the light from the guy in the sidewalk and I don't see any badges or any lights or nothing. I just see all black, mm-hmm. just all black. I can't make out what they're wearing, what color it is, just all black. And so the person shining the light, I block his light. And then that helps me see the guy on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And so I can kind of make out the guy in the sidewalk pulling out a gun. I can see the outline of the gun. I can see him motioning, kind of just, you know, the motion someone makes when they're pulling out a gun out their hip. So when I saw that, you know, I kind of went into that fight or flight reaction. And so for all I know, you know, I am about to get killed for, mm-hmm. I don't know why, you know, I don't have time to think about why. I'm just like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I managed to, I don't know how, but I managed to put the car in reverse and, you know, kind of get out there and, and drive, get out the spot. And as soon as I moved forward, that's when I started seeing you know, the flash of the guns, of the the, the muzzle flash kind of going off. And I saw it to my right at first. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw that, I kind of ducked, instinctively, obviously, because I don't want to get shot in the head. And the first thing I felt as I'm moving, the car is moving, but I can't see where I'm going because I'm duck, you know, looking down and ducking. Yeah. And so I feel the bullet pass through my thigh. I feel the impact and I feel it just go through all the way through. And it kind of hit my left leg, but not hard. Just like kind of passed my leg clean and then just kind of tapped my left leg and just, you know. And then when I felt that, I winced. And then I just blacked out. And then what woke me up was the sound of glass breaking. And this is me crashing into a fence about a couple of feet yards away down the street. crashing into a fence at the corner. Glass is breaking and everything's breaking. Cars just like, you know, shaking after. I am just crashed, obviously, so everything's shaking and breaking you know just having hit the fence and the wall and so i can i can't see anything i could just feel and see everything and i know what just happened i know i just got shot mm-hmm. i don't know where i know in the leg mm-hmm. but i don't know what else at the time so i'm just i can feel my face it's it's very wet and and warm but other than that i can't see anything and i just feel all the glass and hear all the glass breaking and next thing i know my doors being pulled open mm-hmm. and i hear police they're saying hey police freeze police And I don't know who just shot me. All I know is somebody just shot me and the police are here right now. Mm -hmm. So I just started saying, please, somebody just shot me. Help me, please, somebody, somebody. I just kept saying that. And the guy that pulls me out the car, he says, no shit, Sherlock, to me. Cause he had just shot me, but I didn't know that. I didn't have time to think about why this cop would say that to me. I didn't do anything, but I just kept saying, please just help me, somebody just shot me. Like, I can't believe I just got shot. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. And so he pulls me out the car, and this is where you know the parallels with George Floyd. He pulls me out the car, and he puts me on the ground, and I'm bleeding on my face and leg. He pulls me out the car, puts me on the ground. He put his knee on my back, and it wasn't for a long period of time. He put, but he put his knee on my back, handcuffed me, and then put me on the ground or on the floor of the car of his cop car, not even in the seat of the car like the floor. And so I remember that, all that, and then I just passed out on the floor of the car. And then they the, they're the ones that took me to the hospital. And um,
1: the police took you to the hospital.
0: The ones that shot me, they drove me to the hospital. Uh, so, you know, do with that what you will. I know right now they seem like, you know, they made a mistake. They didn't mean to, you know, do it. And well, uh, let, i mean I'm, trying, you know, whoever to, whoever I'm trying to think that, but.
1: Yeah, well, so, so before, so it sounds like you got shot. They, they shot you through the glass into yeah, your thigh, right? In, into so the, the car, bullet yeah. comes in and that's when you passed out. They
0: shot at the car 14 times and I only got hit twice. And the first bullet hit me in the thigh, it severed my femoral artery. And if, I don't know if you know, but that's the main artery in the leg. Yeah. And if you get, if that gets severed, there's a good chance you'll bleed out within minutes. I don't know how I didn't, but I didn't. And I was able to get to the hospital before I did. Yes. Um, and so I didn't know I had, I'd I've been shot in the face until I woke up in the hospital about a day and a half later. My mom standing over me, mm. everybody standing over me. But before that happened, I woke up in the ER uh the doctors what woke me up was like them cutting my pants off because they don't have time to like unbutton or whatever they just cut it off and you know they they gotta operate so i remember the the gust of wind you know hitting my private parts and i just jolted up like it was like i was like what's going on i saw a bunch of lights doctors moving everybody running past moving everywhere yes doctor kind of easing back because i'm like bleeding on my face and they're kind of operating on me and he starts asking me hey are, are you okay obviously i'm not okay but he just asked me are you okay yeah. i remember him asking me that and i'm just like what I just got shot. And that's, I'm like, I just got shot. Somebody just, not, not that it's funny, but, you know, it's like, in hindsight, it's just like, I just got shot. Yeah. And that's why I just kept repeating it. I'm just, somebody just shot me. He's like, okay, relax. Do you know your name? I'm like, yes, my name is Phil Holland. He's, he started asking me, do you know, do you know the year? Do you know the president? I'm like 2014, Barack Obama, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, able, I'm very lucid for somebody that's just, just been shot in the face the way I was. Um, so he asked me, you know, uh, so, yeah, you were just been, you just, you've just been shot. Or we're going to do the best we can. You're going to be okay. He starts reassuring me. And so I kind of just start, I just kept saying I just got shot. Yeah. But then when he asked me, he asked me, do you have anybody that we can call for you? And that's when I started thinking, my mind just kind of started going into this place where I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm about to die. Because what I started thinking about was my mom needs to find out I just got shot. And she's only in Jersey. She's two hours, hour and a half away. And so when he starts asking me that, I started thinking about my mom. And I have a number in my head. But it's just like something in me just made me start thinking about I'm about to die She's not gonna see me before I die. I just got shot. Like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. And it, it might seem like I'm, I'm it's, it's, it's like minutes that I'm thinking this, but this is all within like 10, 15 seconds. But I'm just thinking, I'm panicking, I'm about to die. And I just start crying. And the guy is trying to, you know, get me to, you know, calm down so I can get the number, so I can give the number. But I just kept crying and I passed out before I gave it to him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, what had happened was uh, one of my, I think one of my girlfriends at the time, one of her friends, or somebody at the job, at her job, because she worked at Harris at the time. Uh, one of her friends saw it on the news uh-huh. right then and there. And he told her because he knew who I was. He knew her, obviously. And then so she saw it. She called my mom. And so I don't want to get too into my mom's side of it because her story in and of itself is like crazy. But my mom, she was, this is about midnight by the time she's getting the news. Girlfriend calls her. She says, oh, Miss Odette Phil just got shot. And my mom just kind of hung up the phone because she's kind of sleepy, groggy. And she's like, what? Like, no, he didn't. Like, he just hung up. My girlfriend calls her back, she's like, Miss Odette, Dad, and she's crying this time. Phil just got shot. You need to come down. And so my mom kind of just jolted up. She's like, what? And she kind of explained what happened. And she just kind of hung up, got herself together, got her husband together. And what breaks my heart about my entire story for me personally is the fact that my mom had to drive from Jersey to Philly an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes. She called the hospital before while they were taking off, because he, my, you know, stepdad drove. And all they could confirm for her was that I had been shot in the face and leg. And they they were performing surgery on me and that they couldn't confirm anything else. And so for me, and I wasn't a parent at the time, but you don't need to be a parent to imagine how unimaginable it is for a parent to drive that distance. Like they're driving and like, okay, my son might not be alive because he might be dead. But if he is alive, he has a hole in his face. Mm -hmm. So is he going to be talking? Is he going to be like in a coma? Like what's... You know what I'm saying? Like, so I just—it breaks my heart whenever I think about that. Um, but, but yeah. So she drove, and I told you about how the media was there. She didn't want to talk to them. She just wanted to get to me. And uh, I'll give you—and mm-hmm. whoever's listening, to my Instagram at the end. I have pictures on my Instagram mm-hmm. about what she saw when she got in. Face was wrapped up. You know, she couldn't see anything. Like, she couldn't see my face at all. Um, so that was mm-hmm. just hard for me to hear.
1: What did they need to do? Did they need to find the bullet or what?
0: Well, what they needed to do immediately was to fix my face because. The bullet had entered between my left eye and my nose, entered right in between there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It hit the front of my skull, bounced around like my forehead. And I don't know, don't ask me how a bullet can bounce around somebody's face. I didn't know bullets could work like that, but <laughs> that's what that's what the doctors told me. I
1: know this is not a funny story, but occasionally you say things that you're kind of like funny. No, I get
0: it. Trust me, yeah. I laugh the same way too. I get it, trust me. Um, yeah, like I don't get it. The bullet bounced around my face and it broke the bone that holds my right eye up. Mm. And then lodged itself in my jaw. So it kind of made Mm. a pathway around my face. And if you looked at my face, even then, before I got my second surgery to fix my eye, even before that, nobody was able to tell I'd been shot in the face. But even now, when I tell people, they look at me like I'm crazy because they're just like, no way in hell. Well,
1: that's true. I mean, I did see your photos and I thought, wait, where is it? You know, which is really a staggering did they say to you why this is how this could have happened?
0: They they told me that it was just a miracle that the bullet first of all didn't first of all that I didn't get hit. As many times as I've been shot at fourteen times, mm-hmm. only got hit twice. Yeah, I got hit like femoral artery and in the face are two very vital spots.
1: Yeah.
0: They described it as the bullet had just basically destroyed my face. So they kinda just, you know, Penn Hospital in Pennsylvania, they they did their magic and they wow. they were able to fix me. For my leg. Obviously, they fixed that, too, but what they had to do, that was a bigger risk, believe it or not, because the femoral artery, basically, when the femoral artery was severed, all the blood was coming out. The bullet Mm -hmm. had entered clean through, but the holes that the bullet made, the blood was coming out, but the holes were too small for the blood to come out. So basically, my leg was swelling up with all this blood. Oh,
1: that makes sense. Coming
0: off the femoral artery. So what Mm -hmm. they had to do was do a triple bypass after I'd been pulled up to to my room, and they basically had to do cut... To, and this is on my Instagram, too. Like, the pictures are kind of there. It's, it's very—you kind of got to look for it because I put it in the back of the pictures so it wouldn't be just sitting there. So people could, don't see that, you know, kind of graphic. But uh, they kind of had to cut open two—like, cut open two slits on both sides of my leg and then one on my thigh for the blood to come out
1: mm-hmm. so that
0: they wouldn't have to amputate my leg. Because if that didn't yeah. work out, they would have to amputate it because it would have just, you know—I'm not a doctor, so I can't explain it, but— you know, yeah, no,
1: but that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so that's so that that was two things they did. So yeah.
1: or is your leg is your leg okay now? Can you walk all right? I can walk,
0: I can run, I can work out. Not as well like I can work out on it, but when I run too fast on it too long or when I if I'm doing leg day and like basically leg day, I can't go too hard ever again on leg day because if like my heart I have an artificial vein in my legs, so Oh. There's a spot in my leg that feels very numb. Even right now, I'm touching it; it feels numb. Mm. And if I run in it for too long, it'll start to beat like a heartbeat almost. Like I can feel it beating. Mm. That's the blood, the vein working overtime to get the blood pumping down there. So I can walk. Like all things considered, part of why I I will never complain about my leg because I can walk. But you know, run. This is like it's it's sad. It might seem sad at first, but considering what I went through and how I recovered from it, how fast recovery was, which I'm about to tell you, and what I got. Afterwards, you know, my daughter and all that stuff is just like, you know, I'm grateful for, it, it could have been way worse, which is what I'm getting at. But
1: I think it says a lot about you that you were so concerned about your mom's trip to go see you at the hospital, not knowing what the outcome would be, you know, because you're talking about a very painful, traumatic, uncertain and beyond comprehension time for you. And when you think about the story, you have this compassion for your mom, which I know she's your mom and, and you love her, but that's really, that really speaks to your level of, I think, compassion.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah. Me and my mom were very close. And um, I don't know if you ever heard the, the phrase or the concept or idea that death doesn't hurt you, mm-hmm. at least not, you know, afterwards, it hurts the people that survive you or mourn you. And so I guess that's kind of where it comes from. Like, yeah, I got shot and I felt the pain and all that, but I mean, it happened, it came and went, honestly. Yeah. Not that it wasn't painful, but it came and went. But something that doesn't leave me is, besides, you know, the little things that I'm still dealing with, just that. And recently, my mom, she's actually writing a book on it. And um, she, well, she wants to. And she wrote, uh, she sent me the passage of her basically writing down,
1: mm.
0: basically her side of it, her her words, what she went through, hearing it, waking up, hearing that news, and then driving down... And just reading that, I actually cried reading that. And this was just two months ago, and it happened six years ago. Two months ago, I read that, and I cried. And I had to, I told her I was going to call her back right after reading it. Mm-hmm. It took me about, like, 20 minutes, because I had to stop crying first, because I'm just like, it's just crazy. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think anybody in my position would feel for their parents or for their mother,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, in that in that situation. So, But thank you for, for saying that. I'm a compassionate person.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so your mom did she was she allowed to stay near you when you were recovering or how yeah
0: yeah yeah so when she got there obviously she was like VIP or whatever you want to call it so when she got up there she was crying this is her telling me obviously I couldn't wasn't there obviously but uh, she she came in she the doctors you know she went in found me the doctors yeah. led me to the room after she shooed away the media before she got to our room she spoke to the police chief and the police chief apologized to her on behalf of the officers the officers didn't. Never did, but I'll get to that later if we have time. But police chief apologized. He explained to her that Mm -hmm. apparently, you know, somebody had reported shots in the area. And the description of the male, I remember it was like 6'5". The man was wearing all black. Obviously, he was African-American, but he was 6'5", wearing all black. Yes, I'm African-American male, but I'm 5'5" five, six at best. Mm. I'm lying. I'm five, five. I don't want (laughs) to lie to you like that. (laughs) I want to lie, but you know. You could
1: lie because this is all just audio. (laughs) but
0: yeah, it's like, you know, but I'm five, five at best. So it's just like, you know, they saw me and all they knew was, um, whether they saw me or they, they said I, I had my hoodie up. They said a lot of the lies. I'll get to that later, but basically they targeted me for whatever reason. Uh, and my mom was just like, again, at the time we didn't see it for what it was. If we did, it would have been way bigger news, and people, more people, probably know about my story. But at the time, we didn't really want to. We just wanted to focus on my recovery.
1: Was the press finding you, or were people bugging you?
0: Um, I got a lot of messages from like journalists and reporters, but that's that actually what made me look at my name. I got a message from a reporter, and so I just googled my name because he told me I was in the news. I was told one of my friends told me that Meek Mill had tweeted me on his page, hmm. and so I kind of just googled my name, and that's when I saw in the articles. This is the first indication. My first indication that this wasn't just a mistake, as you, as you would call it, mm-hmm. um, not, not just because I didn't match the description, besides being black. Uh, they said that I had my hoodie up and my hands in my pockets. And honestly, I'm not going to say I remember whether my hands were in my pockets or not, because that part I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But I do remember that my hoodie, my hoodie was not up because I had just walked off of somebody's porch. My hood is never up for delivery because that's just not something you do mm-hmm. to deliver food. You don't have a hood up because that's like, you know, just etiquette, I guess. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't a cool night. I just remember my hood wasn't up. Yeah. And so um, that was a lie. And then I said that I ran to my car and that I tried to run them over after they tried to stop me. <laughs> and they tried to flash their badges at me and I didn't, you know, comply, mm-hmm. which is the most bold face. I'm sitting in the hospital face full and reading this. And I'm just like, are you serious? Mm -hmm. Like, why are they lying on me? Like, you know, what's, why are they doing that? Mm -hmm. And I see, you know, articles, I see comments, people saying, you know, what did he do? Did he, what did he do? He must've done something. He tried to run them over. He must have something in the car. Just all these.
1: Justifications, right? And it's
0: just like, I'm just looking like, I didn't, and this is back then. Again, if it was now, I'd be way angrier because I'd seen it happen so many times with other people. Yeah. But at the time, I, I, I just know me, and I'm just like, I didn't do anything. Like. But I you guess. know, when you
1: think about when you think about growing up and stuff, um, mostly mm-hmm. mostly in Philly, right? Is that correct? Yeah. So did mm-hmm. you ever have? The experience of being warned because you were a black guy.
0: And, and that's the thing. Yeah, you asked me that earlier. And no, I didn't see it in the news, like people being shot wrongfully. I didn't see that in the news. Whether or driving
1: while black or any of that stuff. Yeah,
0: whether it was because I wasn't watching the news enough. It's probably that, obviously. Uh, and me being young, I just wasn't aware of that stuff. But when I got to the age of being aware of that, even then, I didn't see it in the news. If I did see it, it was somebody that had been doing something wrong. Yeah. Or it was a wrongful like somebody else had shot somebody else. Not well, this believe. is
1: sort of like an interesting, it's an interesting point to stop on for a minute because mm-hmm. I think what, it, what it's making me think about is that, Maybe your idea prior to this happening, it was kind of like an innocence, right? Like this feeling that the right things will happen to the right people, and if you're guilty, you get into trouble. But if you are doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're safe.
0: And I knew the world wasn't that black and white. I never knew the. I never thought the world was that black and white.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that's more or less how you're explaining it. As far as police went, that's kind of how I thought. Like, I do nothing wrong, so you know. And the funny thing was, that was my first interaction with police. Hmm. There was one time where I was leaving work late. I got into the the Septa station, and uh, it was after hours. So when I got in, I waited for the train. Train never came, and I tried to leave, and it was locked. So I was locked in the station. Oh. So I had to press the emergency button. Police came and got me. He arrested me because I was trespassing, but I explained to him, "Hey, it was a mistake." I got in the back of the car, but he drove me home. Uh, yeah. And it was a, uh, you know, I, I had several interactions with police. One before that, but long story short, I never had a bad interaction with police before that. Right. And so my yeah, my opinion was, you know. Yeah, these guys shot me, but you know it must have been a mistake. So when I saw that, those lies in the in the in the, in the article, that was an indication. Or I was just like, like what is this? Mm-hmm. And so you know, real, a quick fast forward, when I saw Eric Garner die two months later, over cigarettes, then I seen Mike Brown die in August because he was walking down the street with his friend, and you know the cops asked him to stop or whatever, whatever happened that he I don't care what he did, he didn't deserve what he got. And then John Carford died in Walmart because he had a toy gun. Tamir Rice in Cleveland, he had a, he had a plastic gun. Over and over and over, right after mine, just over and over, just like every two months it seemed, every month, and I'm just like seeing that in the article and then seeing that happen for the for the past six years, just all the time, and I'm just like, yeah. I mean, by now, obviously, I look back and I'm just like, mine was not the first by uh, by any means. Just as far as recently, the past seven, six, seven years, just police-related killings, mine was kind of the first, and I just didn't go public with it, which is why, and I survived which is why mine wasn't really a thing.
1: How long were you in the hospital? When did you leave? How far from the time you were admitted?
0: Uh, Yeah, so I was in the hospital for exactly, in Penn Hospital for exactly seven days.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I, after I was walking, the doctor said I saw I could walk fine and all that. Uh, I got moved to a rehab facility that was like right down the street, about 10 minutes, probably less than that. And I was there for exactly seven days. I was just, I was, I was okay. That's a
1: really fast recovery. I mean, I guess- It was very fast. Do you think that you were pretty healthy to begin with?
0: Yeah, that's the thing about me. I was a very healthy person. After that, I was, you know, doing walking, uh, driving again. Yeah. And now what happened was the following May, I told you how the bullet hit the front of my brain. Um, It left bullet fragments in my brain Mm. because it cracked the skull a little bit and bullet fragments were left in there. And so because of that, I was rendered epileptic, which means I'm sure you know what that means. But for those listening who don't know, Mm. it means that I have seizures. And so I had my first seizure in a year later in May at my mom's house. Yeah. And my, my seizures, they're not brought on, you know, like some seizures are brought on by flashing lights or stress or there's a lot of different things. I don't know to this day what it is besides the bullet fragments. So if it's that, it's kind of just random. Mm-hmm. But the first one just kind of happened out of nowhere. Uh, I was just laying there with my mom. They were watching Real Housewives or whatever. And I was just <laughs> sitting there on my phone. Literally just sitting there laying down, and I just woke up in the ambulance a second later. And that's kind of how the next five happened. Um, one, I was driving. The second one, I was driving. My, I was driving a friend to a friend's house. My ex actually to my friend's house. And it happened like kind of on the road, actually. And by the grace of God, I wasn't on the highway or anything crazy like that. It was just, right. I was making a small turn, and it just I just woke up in the ambulance again. Um, wow. Uh, and the last one that happened now, good news is the last one that happened was almost three years ago. Now it'll be three years in April. Um, the, that one, I was at the top of the steps. I was walking down the steps. I was talking to my daughter's mother. My daughter was in her lap. I was standing at the top of the steps. We had just eaten Popeye's and then boom, woke up in ambulance. (laughs) And by then I already knew what it was, but, um, yeah, this time they told me I fell down the steps. And uh, luckily, again, luckily it could have been worse, but I just had like a small cut on my tongue and on my cheek. But other than that, I felt I didn't have, I had a little headache, but I didn't feel Gosh. like it was a concussion or anything like that. So,
1: Did they know about these fragments when you left the hospital or only after the fact when you were diagnosed with epilepsy?
0: I, yeah, I think they didn't know until after the first seizure, which is when they did the x-ray and they saw the bullet fragments.
1: And then when did you have your daughter?
0: So my, my daughter was born in uh, 2018. I moved to Atlanta, first of all, in 2017. And my daughter was born a year later because I actually had mm-hmm. babysitters since all the way in high school. Like I wanted a child way back then. I just didn't ru- <laughs> I just didn't like rush into it because I didn't want to, you know, uh, be struggling basically with a child. Sure. I didn't want to bring into a child into the world. Or not. So um, I I kind of did rush into it anyway, but I rushed into it because I had some money basically from the case ending, which is why I moved. Mm-hmm. And so oh, I you followed- went to
1: Atlanta because you did you know anyone there?
0: my mom had moved about a month before and she mm-hmm. got in the house here I was gonna I wanted to go to LA or Texas or Seattle
1: mm-hmm.
0: but ended up being in Atlanta because um, my mom was there and I wanted to be close to family because of the seizures Yeah. and also because you know I didn't plan plan on it but I did plan on having a child soon so like I said I rushed into it because I was comfortable but like you know I don't regret it or anything like that Um. so yeah she was born so yeah that, the seizures play a long a big part in that like I was scared to hold her for a long time because yeah. Obviously, I don't want to. I don't want that to happen while she's and she was a she was a preemie too, mm-hmm. and even if she wasn't a preemie, I still wouldn't want that happen, newborn or not, or preemie or not. But especially as a preemie, I didn't want that to happen. So I was, whenever I was holding her, I was always on the couch in a certain way. It was it was um it was tough. That's to, kind of stressful. It,
1: was, uh, it sounds like a hard thing yeah. to have to doubt yourself when you're trying to take care of a child.
0: And then I was scared to to be stressed because I did not know if that would bring it on. Because I still to yeah. this day don't know what. Brought it on, so I didn't want to be stressed or be thinking about it too much. So that was kind of a challenge to, you know, be be worrying about that. And um, are you still on Keppra? yeah it's, I I have to take it permanently, like for life, yeah. because if mm-hmm. I don't, then that means I'm I'm liable to for seizure at any time. But yeah. by now, I take you know two pills in the morning, two pills at night. It's pretty, you know, routine at this point. Well,
1: so how do you deal with your feelings? I mean, I, you know, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but wh- how do you deal with your feelings about? I don't know, not having that that you were not initially supposed to be on this particular delivery that, you know, it's like such a, it seems to me to be a really complicated mi- mixed bag. Right. Because in so many ways, it sounds like you're grateful for how things have turned out. But at the same time, there's a lot to be, I would think, angry about.
0: That's literally like, if you ask me how I feel about it, that's literally what it's like. Like, it's two sides of a coin. Like, on one side, of course, I'm grateful. I don't want to start with the fact that, mm-hmm. actually, like, yeah, I'm angry that it happened to me. I didn't deserve that. Uh, you know, I have a lot of friends that, you know, posted me on comments saying, Phil, like, you know, he was, not I wasn't quiet, but I was like, you know, I wasn't, like, in the streets or anything. Like, I was outgoing. I was just kept to myself. I was just normal. I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I was just cool. So when people heard it. It was just like I was the last person or one of the last people they would expect to be shot by police. Right. So they were just like, feel like what would happen to him? So I was angry. Like, "Why would happen to me? I wasn't doing anything. I was working hard. I was, you know, had my head on straight, wasn't hurting anybody. So, you know, I'm angry about that. Why me? I'm angry about my face, even though it's not mm-hmm. as bad as it could be. And it's really, again, I don't I want to stress that it's not as horrible as I'm making it out to be. But to me, it is grateful to have survived. Grateful to have the story. To, to, to be able to tell the story, to be able to tell my side of it. Because if I had died, they would have got away with it, no doubt. Because um, there were witnesses that actually mm, saw right. the whole thing happen. And they told them that, and I didn't even get to the part where, you know, I found out later on during my deposition, yeah. and I'll get to that in a minute, because that's an important part too. I found out that the cops were wearing black hoodies and shorts and did not have their badges out. Witnesses said they didn't have badges out, but they had them on after wow. when backup cops came. And they tried to get their witnesses, they, their witness statement, but they were shoot away.
1: Were they on duty? Why were they not wearing what they were supposed to be wearing?
0: They were undercover, like plain clothes. Yeah. Not undercover, but plain clothes officers.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: they were in an unmarked car, didn't have their badges out. So I had no indication that they were police. So obviously if I did, I wouldn't have ran away because I had no reason to. Uh, so, yeah, I'm angry about, or I should say angry on one side, but grateful to have survived all that. And to, to, you know... And again, after seeing so many people die from the same exact uh, cause, if you will, you know, I'm grateful. And especially since I got the daughter that I had been thinking about having since high school now, you know, I'm grateful for all of that.
1: Did the city, did the police department settle with you or what, what happened?
0: Yeah, so I wanted to get back to that before fast forwarding to now. So, yeah, so obviously, you know, it's not even me, that's my mom. My whole family just, like, automatic sued. Like, how could you do this? So they sued the whole city or whatever. So it went on for about two years, two and a half years. And so I guess during that time, you know, all that stuff takes time. They wanted to find out, you know, who I was, whether I was, you know, what I was doing there, all that stuff. They found out what they found out. And so I'm sure you know what a deposition is. Again, Mm -hmm. for those who may not know, a deposition is when, you know, you have a court trial or case, whatever. Deposition is when you go on the record and you're being recorded and you sit down in a room, closed door. And you officially tell your side of whatever the case is. And so the cops that shot me did their deposition. And so I was scheduled to do mine. And so I'm telling this story because it's important. This is the third thing that told me that my case was not a mistake mm-hmm. at all. Or at least if it was a mistake, it was the kind of mistake that they're not sorry about or that they were very purposeful in their accident or however you want to put it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. during my deposition, uh, I was scheduled to I went down, I got downtown and my lawyer told me that the officers that shot me were there and that they wanted to be in the room during my deposition. And there was no reason for them to be there, but my lawyer kind of got to the assumption that they kind of wanted to intimidate me a little bit. Mm. And so me being not the person I, cause I'm not even a tough or whatever person, but I was just so angry. I'm just like, all right, let's do it then. I'll do it right in front of them. I look at I look at them in their eyes mm-hmm. while I do it because that's how angry I, am. I don't I don't care. They're not gonna scare me. Yeah. My lawyer said, you know what? Don't do that because that's exactly what they want. They want to get anger and they want to get a rise out of you just to get anything against you because obviously they don't have they don't have anything else. You don't have a history. You don't have anything. So um, we rescheduled it, but then we found out that there was no precedent for them to not. We couldn't legally keep them from being there. Mm-hmm. So. Um, when I got there the second time to do it, I walked in and I'm going to try to breeze through this. I don't want to take too much time because I know we have got to wrap up soon. But um, when I got there, they, I walked into the lobby and I didn't know at the time. My lawyer walked in right after me and she kind of looked frantic, not frantic, but she looked at me. She was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, why? She was like, because they're here. I just want to make sure that you were okay or that they didn't say anything to you. And I was like, who's here? And she pointed to them. She was like, she kind of nodded. And when I saw them, I saw two white males. So the context where we were, I kind of just realized that it was, she was talking about the cops that shot me. Yeah. And so I saw them, saw their faces for the first time. And it's kind of a small room. And they knew that I was, they knew who I was obviously. So they saw me walk past, but they weren't looking at me when I looked at them. But they saw me look at them, didn't look back. But when they were looking at, when they were walking to the elevator to go upstairs, one of them, I guess they saw me looking at them, whatever. One of them looked back at me and stared right back at me. And we basically had a staring contest. And he walked into the elevator and like, kind of like a movie really, like as the elevator doors closed, we're Gosh. just kind of staring at each other. And now me, I'm staring because I'm angry. Cause you just shot me. I don't know which one, if it was the one that shot me in the face or the leg, <laughs> but you shot me Yeah. and you have the nerve to stare back at me. So that's when I believe my lawyer, they, they are trying to intimidate me. So that's when I was like, no, I'm not gonna, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna sit there and be nice. I'm gonna look at them while I tell my story because they are trying to scare me. She convinced me not to do that because that's what they want. So I got up there, they were in the room while I did my deposition. I didn't cry, didn't get emotional. I wanted to look at them, but I just sat there and did it. And that was that. And so fast forward a year later, my lawyer came to me. She said, hey, um, they want to end the case. Go to, they want to give you a, a set amount or whatever. And I said, now by then, two years later, I've seen it happen in the news, but to me, I don't want to go to trial because I'm scared. I don't want to be targeted. I don't want to, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of scared to be honest. Now I'm like, I don't, I don't care. And so my lawyer came to me and said, they, she said, they want to settle. And so I said, that's fine. Um, I didn't really want to go public with it yet, even though I've been seeing it in the news. And my lawyer came to me or she called me and said, you know, the city or the cops, they want to settle and they don't want to go to trial. And that's what I was expecting. Cause if they want to, we can, cause I have nothing to hide, nothing to whatever. But uh, I didn't really want to do all that because I was, to be honest, and I'm, I don't want to say I'm ashamed, but that's kind of the word I'm thinking of. I was kind of ashamed. I'm ashamed to say that I was kind of scared at the time to go public with it because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if somebody was going to come after me for talking about it or being public with it. Or I I don't know. I had some rational thoughts and fears, Um, but I didn't have a problem settling it. But I was like, at the very least, if this is going to go public and people aren't, aren't going to hear about this, then I'm going to talk to them directly. I want to talk to them directly face-to-face, and find out why they did what they did. They owe me at least that. At least that's how I felt. And my Mm -hmm. lawyer told me that, you know, aside from them being there at the deposition and what they did staring staring back at me and all that, she told me that while I was doing my deposition, that they were in the corner kind of like snickering and doodling while I was telling the story.
1: Oh, my goodness. And
0: so if I sit there and go talk to them, they're not going to say sorry or apologize, or I can't expect them to. And if they don't, that might be worse. Like, even though that'll be closure, it might be worse than not getting that closure. Because that would just anger me for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And so she said that might, that might be a risk I want to take. And I was ready to take it because I'm just like, if they're not sorry, then that's fine. But I at least want to see them face to face and just really look them in their eyes and just, I don't know. I just wanted to, I don't know whether I was going to, because I wasn't going to attack them or anything like that. I'm not, I'm like I said, I'm 5'5". Five, five. I'm small. Yeah. I'm not going to you know what i'm saying but no
1: I, I get the sense that that's not you like, i yeah. mean I, I really get the sense yeah i
0: was just angry and i wanted to let them know what they did this is what you did this is who you did it to because i'm not a criminal i'm not a thug or whatever you want to call me mm-hmm. i'm not you know on the street i'm i'm in school like, mm-hmm. i was in school and doing all this stuff and i had plans and this is who you did this to and so my lawyer said you know that's not a good idea so i never did it and it's not that i regret it but i kind of wish that i pushed more on it because like i said What and and fast forward now, my the case ended. I moved to Atlanta. Fast forward to back in you know May, pandemic starts. I was bartending, but pandemic started. I stopped working because I didn't have to. And so May started, but May happened. George Floyd happened, and I saw the whole knee on the back thing, and it brought me back to my case. Every every case that I saw brought me back to my case. But pandemic, we were in the house, stuck in the house, nothing to do. Not nothing to do, but like stuck in the house, we got all the time to think. And so the combination of being stuck in the house and having the time to think about what I wanted to do next in my life and the fact that I've seen it happen so many times and I still haven't shared my story publicly, I kind of felt very low about myself. I had seen it happen so many times and now I'm watching it happen again and I'm mm. sitting here with my story having survived and I start thinking, okay, wow, what if I had gone public with it back in 2015 after Eric Garner or after Mike Brown or after one of those people? Who knows? I'm not saying I would have saved other lives because I doubt that, but... Maybe I would have, you know, who knows, changed something. And maybe Mm -hmm. just one of them wouldn't have got shot and killed.
1: Well, I wonder, too, if it makes you feel, uh, if it's hard to know that you, every time one of these cases comes up and people can learn about them and it's in the news, if that affects you, if, if, if it kind of, I don't know if it's like a little bit of PTSD or anything.
0: It's not PTSD. It's just like some of them made me cry. Like Mike Brown, that was the one that happened right after mine in August couple, four mm-hmm. months later. That one, I was crying almost, for the first five, six days, I was crying every day. And I was I was Googling the name every two weeks, trying to find out more, trying to see, because I knew, I just paralleled it with mine, like just being shot, except he died. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I told you about how normal that day was for me. Yeah. I know that day for him, I know it, because I saw him, you see the footage of him leaving the store, I know, yeah. and I know he did something, I don't care what he did. I know that day for him was just normal, and he had no idea that he was about to be shot by police. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought about that. I just, I just, I was so obsessed with his story. And then, yeah, that was just one of them. Some made me cry, some didn't. Uh, Philanio Castillo was one that made me cry because he had his daughter in the back seat. And mm-hmm. he literally did nothing wrong. That was one, that's one that sticks to me because he had a, he had a licensed firearm in the in the, in the the glove department and he told the cop and the cop shot him because he was too scared to let him pull it out, even though he warned him. Mm-hmm. So that, and he had his daughter, it's just, you know, some of them, and not that some are worse than others because they're all bad, but... You know, like, well, everyone, some of them affect you differently. Yeah, 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 everyone, yeah, some of them have me more than others, but everyone hits me. And George Floyd was just one that was just like, it was just kind of the tipping point for me to just kind of just get out there and just share my story. And I told you about how mm-hmm. if I'd went public with it sooner, if I would have just saved one life or one person or whatever, that's kind of why, one of the reasons why I'm sharing the story now.
1: You survived.
0: Yeah, it's not just survived, not just me having survived. Well, obviously, me having survived. Because like I said, if I had died, nobody would know who I was. They would have, I would have just been some kid that must have not been doing what he was doing. Or must have not been doing, must have been doing something, doing something he wasn't supposed to. I'm sorry. But um, uh, when I share the story, it's to, you know, it's not just for people that look like me, you know, black people or black men or black women, because it happens to women too. Um, but it's also for people, you know, like you mentioned earlier, the Karen, so to speak, like the people that don't believe that black people are being targeted a certain way. Like some people believe that, you know, if you don't do crime, then nothing's gonna happen to you. I just told you my story, I did nothing. And it happened to me. Mm-hmm. So if it can happen to me, how many times, and uh, like, these are people, and every time it happens, another thing that gets me angry is, they try to go back in the past, like, oh, he did this, or he was a criminal, or he did drugs, or Fully had fentanyl, or whatever in the system. I don't care what he had in the system, he wasn't hurting anybody. And so, or they said he did porn, like, what does that even matter? As exactly. opposed to like, like, how is that even relevant? So, you know, I think just- it's
1: really important what you're saying, because I think I know that this is a conversation now, but it's really important because I think a lot of us, when something scares us or we're uncertain or something doesn't seem to match up the way we expect it to. I know even in myself, it's easy, and I don't mean in this particular situation, but it's easy to say, well, what was that person doing? Just like if someone gets COVID, if you know someone who has COVID, you could easily say, well, what did they do that was wrong? Because it makes us feel safer. And especially if you're talking about this on racial lines, it would be so easy for someone who hasn't experienced this type of profiling or violence to say, well, they had to have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. They had to have been doing something. And it's, for First of all, no. And second of all, it doesn't matter whether or not someone even has a little bit of drugs on them. They don't deserve to be shot. Like that's, it's and that's so the thing, beyond. like no matter what yeah. you're
0: talking about, that's why when I mentioned Mike Brown, I just mentioned the other stuff because, you know, it's just somebody, there's still this thing called due process. So even if I or anybody else feels like they deserve to be shot and killed, that's still not what they technically are supposed to get because they're supposed to have their day in court and then go to jail or whatever the case may be there's a way to be right. to take down a, a, and I've, I've i've seen several videos and i've shared them on instagram several videos of a white person being taken down some of them have machetes swinging up at the cops one video the cop the little boy or not a lot little boy but like a teenager punches the cop in the face and he's being he's taken down no guns no not even a baton or taser nothing mm-hmm. but me i'm just like tase him at least not to ramble on too long but the last one that happened walter wallace in philadelphia in october the funny thing was that block I, my me and my girlfriend, before we moved into our new place, right after my accident, I live right around the corner from there because that's where she lives with her mom back then. So when that happened, I recognized she immediately. But that case, you know, his mom was holding him back and he had a knife or whatever, and he was swinging at the cops and they were backing up as he was, you know, walking. They had time to think about how they want to take this man down. And they had time to think, OK, let me get the taser out, tase him in the chest or whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's just assume they didn't have tasers, right? They had time to sit there and think, okay, I don't want to kill this man or be the next cop that shoots another black man. Even though he has a knife and he's swinging it at me, he's not that close. He can't get me. So I had time to shoot him in the legs or the foot. And I know everybody says this, but to me, I haven't heard anything that disproves why a cop can't shoot somebody. And I'm not saying every case is the same because sometimes they don't have the time to think. I understand that. But in the case I'm talking about, and in a lot of other cases, why can't you shoot the person in the foot or the leg and incapacitate them if you have to use your gun? Why can't you do that? As opposed to shooting him in the chest several times. Like Jacob, they would have killed him, but he just happened to survive. Walter Wallace, they would have, they did kill him. And it's just like, I don't understand it.
1: Well, so then to to speak to that, does that how do you so okay, so here's a double question, okay? So on a on a daily basis, how much do you think about yourself? these days how much does it just come into your head oh this thing happened to me and how many normal days do you have and then also are you are you able to consume the news without I mean how do you not get into sort of a a fight or flight or this stress situation when it's so connected to what happened to you
0: yeah so I would say like I don't I don't I wish I knew what I could tell people to try to like but all I can do is like kind of tell people as far as and this is why I mentioned earlier when I talk about not, people that, not the people that look like me because they understand already, mm-hmm. the people that don't look like me, the, the people, that the white people, not just white people, they're also, mm-hmm. you know, we've, I've seen videos of, of Chinese or Asian people calling somebody, you know, the N-word. So Chinese, Asian, you know, Hispanic, Mexican, any other, any race or creed or nationality, whichever, mm-hmm. that believe those things that i mentioned earlier about you know black lives matter all lives matter or you know if you don't do anything it's just like there are things in this world that i didn't understand until i actually experienced it and then also researched it that it's just like you have to people have to accept that they are ignorant and i don't mean that as an insult i just mean like i'm i'm ignorant right now because there are a lot of things i don't know and so in 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 regards to this it's just there are so many things i wish i could say right now but for example real quick one is for example some people don't know that a lot of people know that cops are placed in certain community and in, in certain communities mm-hmm. in certain lower income communities because mm-hmm. that's where they'll get more action so to speak as far as you know arrests or you know ticket stops or whatever or people they'll find people that have insurance or whatever some people know that some people don't that cops are putting those places on purpose but other people don't know that a lot of people don't know or won't believe that cops will literally—they're literally trained to provoke African Americans when they don't have certain—you know—when they're being stopped or whatever. They're—they're they're trained or taught to provoke them into certain behaviors, so they can actually go ahead and arrest them. I don't want to go and say they do that so they can kill them. I'm not going to say they, it's not—that's not possible because who knows? But they're trained to literally do things like that to actually target people, and we all know about the rate—the—the the rate of um incarceration of African Americans, of mass incarceration, mm-hmm. about you know of a police brutality, like all these stats of so people can just look up. Like just literally if you're if you're willing to be open minded, anybody listening, and you don't believe what I'm telling you about or you don't believe that about systemic racism, about just I don't want to rainbow but just Google for example, just systemic racism or Google the war on drugs. Google the, the concept behind the war on drugs, hmm. that'll just pop up on Google right there. Like it literally says yeah. they were going to target African-Americans and jail them because they can't arrest them for no reason. So we're going to try to get them this way, literally target. So police brutality at the target of African-Americans is really not that crazy, especially when police started off as slave catchers. It's not that crazy to, to, to believe that that's what they're here for, to, to target African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying all cops are bad, but we do know that there's a problem that that. It's, it's a huge problem, and that's why I don't have the answers to it, but mm-hmm. to answer your question, it's hard to ramble, but to those listening, I kind of get passionate when I talk about it, but it's just like, just try to educate yourself on what's going on, because for those people that say all lives matter, or this isn't true, or black lives matter is, is anti foul all that crazy stuff, all they're doing is just taking away from the main cause or the main root of the problem or the main issue, which is cops need to start killing, people, stop killing people, mainly African Americans, but people in general also.
1: Can you tell? Can you share your link, your um, Instagram, so that people can find you?
0: Um, yeah. So my Instagram handle is uh, Phil. It's my name, P H I L. Phil Holland, H O L L A N D. Phil Holland, and then with two underscores. Okay. So it's gonna be two little bar things on the on the ground or whatever you call them. Two <laughs> yeah. of them. But once you Google my name, Phil Holland, it'll probably pop up. Or or Facebook me, or whatever. But um, yeah. So
1: I want to thank you for. You know you're really generous with your time and also with your you know your energy to go back and think about this and to share your experience and I I'm glad that you're taking your place you know at the table here and and kind of coming into your experience and sharing it because I do agree with you that it can help people
0: um this is about the I don't know if it's a six or seven podcasts I've done in the past month and a half or so but so far, and I'm not just saying this because I don't say this to anybody or I haven't said it to anybody yet, but this is actually my favorite one so far because of how it's gone and how, you know, Aww. so thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for being here, Phil.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit ATECpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening.